Hey everybody, welcome to another drive through FM as well as another top 10 list. So over the last couple of months, I've taken a couple of polls in terms of the types of top 10 lists that folks want to hear about. And I think by far the most uh, asked for is the top 10 solo game. So that's what I'm going to cover today. Uh, before I jump into sort of the meat of the list, I'll just give you a couple of kind of explanations and you know, reasonings for what's going on and kind of my thought process, uh, really. Uh, it's been three years since I did the last one. Uh, I think it's just a little bit over three years. So uh, some things have changed since I did my top 10 solo list then. Some stuff has actually hung around. And there's one or two things I should really say sort of about my kind of tendencies as terms of solo gaming. I don't do a ton of solo gaming, but I do enjoy it. That is fun. Uh, sometimes I, at this stage of my life, I seem to prefer solo board games over video games, even though I play video games a little bit too still. Uh, well, there's one thing that I've sort of grown out of, so to speak, or grown away from, probably is a better way to say it, and that is like competitive games with a solo mode. Uh, not whole hog, <laughs> but you know, like Caverna, I used to like to play that solo, but I don't really like that anymore, like a Gaia project. Uh, Vital Lacerda games, you know, that kind of stuff. I, I, just because I like the competitive side of it that much more with more players at the table, I just really miss it when I'm playing it solo. So I know there's a lot of folks that, you know, they play solo probably more than they play with other people. So those modes probably are okay for like a lot of people that enjoy solo gaming, but just having had that kind of taste, you know, of the competitive side with the other folks sitting at the table, those kind of tamp it down a little bit for me. So you're not gonna see a lot of that here, uh, maybe one thing here or two things kind of, that will sort of fit into that sort of category. And one thing that I very much learned that I really just seem never to like is solo games or they're kind of board games, they're kind of like choose your own adventure games. So over the last couple of years, I've sort of dabbled in some of the uh, the newer game books, like the old Choose Your Own Adventure books, the Steve Jackson sorcery style books, uh, fighting fantasy style books. I enjoyed those when I was a kid. I probably in my preteen years is about when I played that, maybe pre-preteen, like you know, eight, nine, ten, eleven, something like that. Um, I liked, I loved those games when I was a kid. Uh, but now, like Destiny Quest is a book series that I would say is probably the best one of these. Um, but I still like really didn't like that one after like by the time I got to the end of the first book I was like I don't like this at all uh, Legacy of Dragonhold it would probably be the other one that I would recommend um, that one I don't know I loved like 75% of that one but there was just something about the way it sort of unfolded I would like to see that system revisited I think I could if there was one that I could really get into it would be that sort of design I liked all the mechanics and everything like that uh, but there's been like some other choose your adventure style games. Most notably recently is the game called Tainted Grail, which I really, really wanted to like, and I just do not like at all. And I, I always feel that the choose your adventure games, because they have the whole like, let's reset to the previous level or reset the adventure, that really ends up bothering me. I don't think that's very fun. Whereas if you played something like Pandemic Legacy, which you could play solo, and I have, again, I kind of prefer that playing with somebody else, but um, that one, like you can lose a, a scenario or a mission in Pandemic Legacy, but you keep going, right? It just affects the overall thing. And then at the end, only do you find out if you kind of won or lost or how bad or how great you did, where this whole like trope of you get to a certain point and then bam, you have to reset. Oh, your guy died, bam, you have to reset. 
Because a lot of times in these choose-your-own-adventure games, and Tainted Grail is no exception, there's just like random dumb stuff that can happen to you, and it's like, uh, that was bad luck, but now I have to reset? Uh, I want to play a different game. And I have some other issues with Tainted Grail uh, in general, I mean, beyond just the choose-your-own-adventure type, but I also think, uh, to be honest, like I'm a little bit biased against it because by the time I played through like the second scenario of it, I was like, oh, I think I hate these kind of games overall <laughs> because I'm really not enjoying this at all. So you're not going to see any of that kind of stuff. But I think there is going to be some things on this list that for me, it's just a much more rewarding game experience than trying to like shove some kind of narrative that isn't going to meet the quality of reading a good book, for example, that doesn't have, I don't have to choose, just give me the good book and, you know, write it well. And that's going to be more rewarding for me than me, like flipping pages and then resetting and all that stuff. Or I'd rather play like a D&D or something too, because that's a whole other, you know, category there. So that, other than that, say I have one honorable mention. So I'll start the list now, time stamp it here. My one honorable mention here is uh, Horrified. Uh, this one just kind of barely misses the cut. This would be like my number 11, I think, for sure. I like to have in my collection a quick and easy and, uh, you know, accessible solo game that I can just set up, very easy to set up, you know, very easy to play. Uh, this kind of replaced Forbidden Island, Forbidden Desert for me. That was kind of like, I would just have that. And, you know, if I'm like, if I'm just like bored and I just, I, I don't want to pull out a new game. I don't want to read rules for something for game night. I don't want to watch TV. You know, if I'm just like, oh, I'm really bored. I would always get out Forbidden Island. This one is kind of replaced that for me. It's just super easy. You can play like three, four times and maybe like an hour and a half. If you, you know, once you play it a lot, you're just going to kind of grind through it. And uh, so Horrified's really kind of become that just easy to break out, quick solo slash co-op game, knock it out again and again. This is a really good game. So that's kind of my honorable mention. Now, getting into the top 10 proper, the number 10 here is one of those that I was talking about that is kind of a competitive game. This is Cloud Spire, but it has a fantastic solo and frankly, uh, co-op mode. Uh, so the reasons I like this solo is because this is just a fantastic puzzle that it presents you. And it really does it, I think, in a very unique and different way. So you play through this campaign of sorts. There's four factions that come in the main box. There's a fifth faction that you can get. Uh, so if you're gonna kind of play through the solo game in a campaign, you're gonna take one of the factions, then you're gonna play kind of three games with that faction against some of the other factions. And then you'll stop playing the faction you were playing. And then you'll choose, well, you won't choose, but the story will kind of show you the next faction. So you're playing through the narrative. You're not really driving it or anything by any kind of branching choices. Although there is a little bit of how well you do in one scenario will sort of change up the beginning of the next scenario, which is fine. That's plenty. Because you're really just kind of along for the ride in terms of the narrative. But the gameplay is really where it's focusing on and setting up a puzzle that initially for like on the first blush is always like, this is cheating. Like, how am I supposed to beat this? And it, it does things that in the normal like head to head game would just not be possible. It just go, flat out like breaks the rules. But then you have to kind of piece and tease together how I'm going to solve that puzzle. And because it has this kind of programmatic aspect, it's, it's like a MOBA style game. Uh, that, you know, just kind of, in some respects, you'll set it up and it'll kind of run on its own. That programmatic MOBA stuff really marries nicely with the whole puzzle aspect. So this is one of my top games from last year, from 2019, uh, from Chip Theory Games. And uh, this is definitely my favorite Chip Theory game and definitely one of the neatest 
approaches to uh, a solo game uh, that I've seen. And, uh, and I, I think more games could do this where you, instead of uh, competitive games, where you have like a target victory point number or something like that, or you're just trying to beat your best score, if they can present to you like different sort of strategic uh, choices and, and things that you can kind of learn about the game and how the game kind of works to kind of guide you through. So I think a lot of the stuff that I've for, sort of played with, uh, it sort of like is like, oh, this, I got to remember this little trick because when I go play head to head, this will kind of come in handy. So it's kind of a neat, almost like very glorified uh, tutorial, but in a way some video games have the thing of you kind of play through the solo mode. So if you think of like StarCraft or something, you play as the Turan, you know, for like a bunch of scenarios. And then you switch to the Zerg and then you switch to the uh, Protoss. This has the same kind of thing. And then you can go play head-to-head, -head, which is a totally different game mode. But you learn things playing through that campaign that are going to come in handy, you know, when you play against another player. So that's number 10, Cloudspire. Very interesting, innovative, and just a really cool uh, design there. So number nine is actually a miniatures game, and this is Warlords of Erewhon, or I like to call it War Warlords of Nowhere because it's nowhere backwards. Uh, this is a new newish game from Warlord Games from uh, Rick Priestley, who was the designer of the original original uh, Warhammer miniatures games. And the reason that this is soloable is because of its uh, bolt action system that it uses. So bolt action is a system that they've used in a lot of different miniatures games. And what you do is you put different colored dice in a bag and then you draw the dice out and then whichever team's dice you draw, they're gonna take that die and it has some different like orders and things like commands and they can charge and uh, they can kind of hunker down and you know they can, they can do like a weight action. So you're gonna choose one of the units on your side, assign that order and then you know execute the order. And then you're gonna draw out of the bag and then whoever's team you know gets the dice drawn they're going to go so theoretically player a could go like three times in a row and then player b could go and then it would go back to player a or they could just alternate so it's going to be kind of random the order that the different units activate but it makes it very soloable because when you draw the die out of the bag you go okay so i'm playing as this player now who would i want to activate and do the best possible move that i can think of that that team would want to do. So I'm going to, I'm going to charge my mammoth into your skeletons, or I'm going to activate my necromancer and cast a spell on this, uh, you know, uh, unit of skeletons or something like that. So, and then you put the die down and then you forget all about it and you draw a new die and you go, Oh no, it's my turn again, or it's the other player's turn. So now I got to switch gears there. So it makes it really easy to solo because there's not really any like hidden information. There's not any sort of grand large scale, movement strategy uh, in terms of you, you having to execute all your movement at once, like typically in Warhammer, Age of Sigmar, or 40K. It's very tactical back and forth, alternating activation kind of thing. And it just, each die pull is like a little mini puzzle that you're like, ooh, what should I do here? Okay, this would be good. And then this and that. So there's not any like trickery that you have to like enable, which is sometimes a big part of some of these uh, movement first, I'll call it movement first miniature games, uh, that this this doesn't really have that. So this is a very, very cool, interesting uh, way to play miniature games. And honestly, it's on the list because of that, because I don't think there's really many miniature games that you can play solo. I mean, you can, like I've done them to like learn the rules and things like that, but it's not as, this is, again, it's the same kind of idea with like Agricola. It's like not anywhere near as fun as playing against another player or partner and, you know, sort of 
trying to outfox each other. You just lose all of that. Where this is, it kind of obfuscates a little bit of that. So you can still kind of engage fully with the game. So that is uh, Warlords of Erewhon. And if you've got a bunch of miniatures laying around, I definitely would recommend uh, taking a look at this uh, because it doesn't really require a whole boatload of miniatures, although you could scale it up to sort of a grand uh, a battle, but this would this would apply just fine to like more of a skirmishy uh, type of game. It's kind of in between like a skirmish game, like a Warcry or Necromunda or Frostgrave, and then like a large scale battle. So if you've played any of the Warhammer games, think of it about about a ballpark about a thousand points worth of units. But of course, that's going to give or take based on you know the type of armor you build. But it's kind of that in between skirmish and large scale battle. So that was number nine, Warlords of Irwan. And number eight, keeping with the same theme here, is Nuclear Winter 68. Now this is the box to the first and only expansion, Heart of Darkness. Uh, this is a very, very cool game and it's very similar uh, for the reasons that I chose Warlords of Irwan. This has a chit pull system where you will pull activation chits out of a bag and then again execute one of the units on a side. And it even has a three-player narrative campaign that's just in the base game it's got a bunch of extra goodies like that in the expansion and so it gives you i think it's a nine scenario uh uh campaign to play through and you kind of will shift focus not only as you pull chits but as you sort of play the different scenarios you kind of shift focus between uh so the, what this is is kind of an alternate like world war ii a history game where like a nuclear bomb that's been dropped on Germany, sorry Germany, and there's like zombies and like weird mutants, not zombies like Walking Dead, but like more more like mutants uh, that have that's like one faction. Then there's like the remnants of the Third Reich, and then there's like the Allied forces, you know, U.S. and Britain, and so on. And so all these factions are kind of like vying for you know territory control, and it plays very much like a traditional like hex encounter war game. It's got all those abilities with the little chits and the stats and, uh, and the way you roll the dice and the combat and stuff like that and the activation. You got like leaders to activate, which will you know uh, activate like a zone of control around them, that kind of stuff. So it's got all that cool war game stuff that uh, you know I like to play sometimes, but it's this completely ridiculous fantasy setting. And it has this, uh, in this case, called the lock and load system. Uh, and so if I would recommend like this kind of, if this theme is you're like, oh, that theme sounds dumb, but take a look at the lock and load system in general <clears throat> to find maybe a theme. They've got all kinds of themes. They're all war themes, but a lot of them are World War II. Some of them are a little bit more modern warfare. I've seen a lot of them that are very skirmishy, squad level, like modern street level fighting stuff that looks kind of interesting. Um... Yeah, so if you're into that kind of tactical combat and strategy stuff, then uh, definitely I would I would recommend any of these lock and load systems uh, as as a good, cool entry to a solo game. I particularly like this one because it kind of feels like I'm playing sort of like a Fallout derivative, uh, Fallout the video game, I should say. But it's kind of like, you know, it's the same time frame as Fallout Ballpark, but it's in Europe and it's post-World War II. And, you know, it, I think it takes place uh, in the 1960s in this universe. So it's got a lot of kind of neat stuff. And the whole narrative campaign aspect of it is it's kind of what really ends up kind of drawing me in and, and really enjoying this. So this is Nuclear Winter 68. Oh, this place in 1968. It takes place in 1968, <laughs> of course. Anyway, <laughs> brain fart. Uh, so that is number eight, Nuclear Winter 68. Number seven, I don't have the box anymore, but I have this 
case here. This is Marvel Champions. Uh, this is also one of the top games from last year. This one I think can go, will be very high like on my top 100, my top 50 games of all time, uh, if and when I ever did that list again. Um, yeah, but so this is this is amazing solo. Now I do really like Marvel Champions with other players. I don't really know. I think I like it probably more with other players than I do solo. But that just shows you how much I really like the game. Because I, I really love it solo, and I love it even more with players. But it, it's this has got to be one of my, my best favorite solo games. Just, I don't know, there's so much about it that I really, really like. And I think kind of the takeaway for me in terms of like the solo ability of this, which is, you know, why it's on this list, is actually there's no campaign, which is fantastic. That to me is like probably the like the, the most unsung cool part of the game is I don't have to like play through a narrative and there's no narrative to play through. So if I play through the non-existent narrative, then I feel like I already did that. So why would I do it again? This one is just like, hmm, let me take this hero. Let me throw it against, uh, you know, uh, Ultron or the Green Goblin or whatever Wrecking Crew is coming out. And you can take this hero and throw it against that or this hero against that, this hero against that. And because that to me feels very, very much like a comic book. A comic book universe is just a, it's just a mess, right? Like if you take uh, Dr. Doom, all of the Marvel superheroes have fought Dr. Doom. Spider-Man, Fantastic Four, X-Men, Avengers, uh, you know, Incredible Hulk, who's kind of part of the Avengers, uh, Alpha Flight, you know, whatever. I'm just coming, Excalibur, X-Factor, New Mutants, um, they've all fought Dr. Doom. Submariner, you know, I can you just keep going. You list every single Marvel hero, they probably have fought Doctor Doom. I'm sure Black Panther fought Doctor Doom at some point, or She-Hulk, you know. And so that feels like what a comic book game should be. Like I shouldn't always have to do like these big long campaigns and be like, oh, where was I? Oh, I gotta manage the bookkeeping in between the games. But this still has that because if you take She-Hulk and you fight the Green Goblin and you get your butt kicked, then you can say, okay. Let me go back and, uh, you know, lick my wounds back at my my bat cave or my she-hulk cave, right? And then, you know, re-kind of calibrate and reconfigure to go and try to do battle again and stop their scheme from going off. Because that's what always seems to happen in the comic book and in the movies is the heroes, they go try to stop the villain. They get trounced halfway through the movie or halfway through the series or whatever. And then they go back and they have to like come up with this crazy wacky plan to pull it off at the last minute. And that's kind of what this just does. Like you just are constantly revisiting it without like trying to like handcuff me to this narrative, which is probably crappy, right? You know, let's be honest. Uh, you know, these are game designers, not necessarily good writers. So I don't want to beat anybody up because I have had some good stories. But most of the good stories that I have when I play a game emerges out of like the chaos vortex of all the players at the table and all the little components and these cool little interesting random things that happen that just kind of grow out of the experience naturally. And I think that's what this does. And so I definitely recommend uh, Marvel Champions. And I've had a chance to play now the Green Goblin stuff with the uh, the two new heroes, Miss Marvel and Captain America at this point. Those are the ones that are out. And really have enjoyed those. Although Captain America kind of makes it easy mode. But that's kind of the fun thing. So I haven't taken Captain America yet against Ultron, which I've not beat. <laughs> so I, shouldn't, I need to do that. Now that I'm saying it out loud, I want to break it open and play Captain America against Ultron. Because I haven't beat Ultron yet. 
and Captain America just seems to whoop everybody else. So, but I definitely recommend uh, Marvel Champions. So that brings me to number six. Number six is Shadows of Brimstone, and this is just one of the many expansion boxes that I have for it. I think I talked about this on some other video a while ago, and I showed a different box. So here's this is the Forbidden Fortress one. Now this is a game that is set in like multiple universes, really. It's uh, if you ever played like HeroScape, uh, it kind of has that vibe, but not specifically because it's like you have these portals through these different mine shafts that just seem to like leak out into other dimensions. So in the original, you play like old West characters fighting against like weird aliens and Cthulhu-esque demons and all kinds of other crazy demons and stuff like that and other bandits and like mutated bandits. And then in this newer series, you have like different samurai fighting against more Asian themed demons, but you, there's no reason you can't mix everything all together and have Cthulhu and Asian themed demons and cowboys and samurais and everything all mixed together. And there's like Viking stuff coming out from the latest Kickstarter and like conquistadors, Spanish conquistadors. So there's all these different like time periods and stuff like that. I'm sure they're gonna throw some futuristic stuff in there. Uh, there's just all kinds of just a variety of monsters and things like that. Um, and so what this really is to me now, just put a pin in what I'm about to say, because when we get towards the end of the list, you're going to be like, huh? <laughs> this one to me is like the spiritual successor to the old, old, old Warhammer quest game from games workshop back in like the nineties, right? This is the one where you have it's, it's a dungeon crawl, really, but it's really a light, light, light RPG. Uh, when we played it with my group, uh, we played it several times now through like a campaign, and we're, it's very combat hack and slash driven, but there's like enough RPG elements in here that I feel like more I'm playing an RPG than a dungeon crawl, because you've got all this between adventure stuff, you have all of this um, you know, like you can go to town and you can go on little adventures in between your main skirmish combat things. Uh, you know, your character is going to grow and die and get mutations and uh, level up and all this kind of stuff. So basically you play to like about level eight and then, uh, and then the, the game kind of plateaus from there. So I basically, it's not really that official, but the idea is that you kind of get to level eight and then you stop and make a new character because you've sort of ascended and that, that character can retire once they get to level eight because you do get pretty powerful at level eight. So there's not really a point in like you're just going to crush a lot of stuff. Um, but yeah, so there's just in the, the game again, it has a, it's a campaign, but this is more procedurally generated, which kind of harkens back to that old, old Warhammer quest that it's you're not on rails. You're not doing a linear thing. You don't have to go from this one to this one to this one. You can smash it together. Uh, there's been some kind of uh, fan modifications uh, that kind of make it a little bit more strict. Uh, but I've I found that I'm not really into that. Like I'm into like, what are we doing today, guys? Well, let's go here and we'll go down this tunnel and then we'll go into this other dimension, whatever. We're we're just trying to, to go and get this dark stone, which is this become this currency through all these different dimensional portals. And you get them like upgrade your bullets with like dark stone magic bullets. And, you know, you, the dark stone is going to mutate you if you carry too much of it. And so it just you're just a bunch of ne'er-do-wells just going in and trying to be, get rich and, uh, you know, and sort of exploit uh, this new thing that's just like appeared on Earth. So because you're not really that married to like a strict overall like narrative arc from 
you know, character growth to like defeat the Emperor or Darth Vader, or, you know, that kind of thing at the end. It's just you're a bunch of smugglers and bandits and things like that. And that makes it a lot more interesting and fun to kind of play in. And again, the story kind of emerges <laughs> through all the random stuff that happens to all the players. Uh, so that I really, really uh, enjoy about Shadows of Brimstone. So that brings us to number five here, and this is Defenders of the Realm from Eagle Griffin Games and Richard Lanius, who also designed the original Arkham Horror. This is definitely my favorite Richard Lanius game. Uh, This one, uh, it's sort of like a fantasy pandemic. Uh, I mean, he pilfered a couple of mechanics out of Pandemic and then kind of made him his own, you know, changed him a little bit. I mean, he even gives credit in the rule book and stuff like that. Um, and it's sort of fantasy and you have different heroes and they're, they're moving around trying to fight, defeat these different monsters that are sort of encroaching and they're sort of tainting the land and, you know, setting fires and, and you know, it's trying to overwhelm different cities and stuff like that. And you're going on side quests. In some ways you're trying to like upgrade and level up your characters by completing the quests and stuff like that. Um, and it's very, very focused on like teamwork. So I do actually prefer this with you know, more than solo. I like it with two, three, and four players. But I still really, really enjoy it as a solo game. Obviously, it's number five on my solo list. Uh, at this point, there's a lot of different expansions. There's like 30 different characters you can take. Uh, they vary in sort of uh, power. Uh, there's different uh, monsters in, in sort of, I call them monster kingdoms. Like there's, there's an expansion that's just all different dragons. And there's also like you can get like upgraded ones and play around with the difficulty. So if you if you do grab some of those, frankly, more overpowered characters, then you can kind of throw them against some of the more difficult uh, monster setups. And there's like upgrade expansions for all different monsters. Um, I like to play this one. I know you can play it like a single character, but I like to play it, you know, with multiple characters at once. I've even sat down and played with four at once. And you kind of like piece out that teamwork of that. So it's kind of kind of like you have your own little adventure party kind of going off and they're doing their own thing. And so each of them, to me, kind of represents a party with a leader that you're controlling. And this, the level of adventure is really fun in this. Like, again, there's not a very good strict narrative, you know, campaign story. All that's going to emerge. But just kind of the, the way that the design works and the way everything kind of goes together similar to Marvel Champions, I feel like this is like a world that you can kind of like revisit. So like, okay, we played today and I played the Ranger and the Paladin and this wizard. And, you know, we beat back these two or or sorry, four, it's always four kingdoms, these four like evil kingdoms trying to take over the land. Good. We beat them. Yay. You know, and we succeeded. And then next time, you know, in 10 years time, there's some new heroes that have shown up. There's some new kingdoms that have come back and kind of the same cycle over and over again. But you kind of can revisit this world and kind of check in with it at times. And this has that feel and that, all that adventure and stuff just kind of comes off of the board. Uh, and it's very easy and streamlined to play. It plays like you're kind of, at this point, kind of like your typical co-op. I would say out of, yeah, well, yeah. Uh, yeah, I would say this is the most co-op feeling game. So, you know, you know when I say like it's like you can tell the lineage of Pandemic, that's not just because of the card mechanic, which isn't exactly like Pandemic but it's close, but it has that co-op vibe to it. You know, Horrified is very much a co-op game. Where some of this other stuff I'm talking about, it's more of a dungeon crawl, it's kind of more of a war game, that kind of thing. It's, it goes into some other areas, but if you think like a strict pure co-op that's almost like a euro co-op right um which is kind of what pandemic sort of spawned that sort of puzzly simple elegant euro co-op 
this is right in that, but this is a perfectly sweet spot. Now there's some dice rolling and stuff like that. So if you're, if you're more of like a puzzle solver and you don't want the dice, then, you know, it's not that bad. I would still, <laughs> still try the game, but this is like right, fits right in that slot. It's not a very, it's not light. It's not super heavy, but there's just kind of enough going on and there's like enough gameplay that it feels like a very old school game, especially this day and age. But it's still, the design to me holds up and is really, really fun. Anyway, so that's Defenders of the Realm. That's number five. And then number four here is another one I would put in the same ballpark, but let's talk about it. This is Eldritch Horror. Again, this is one of the expansion boxes. Just instead of holding up all the boxes, this is one of them. This is my favorite cover, the Mountains of Madness one. Now, this is obviously, speaking of Lanius, this is sort of like, you know, the sequel to Arkham Horror. They came out with Eldritch Horror. A few years ago, I think they've completed uh, making expansions for them. So if you want to get this, it might be tricky. I think you can get it, but everything's out there. So if, you, if you're going to get into it, you know what's out there. You definitely know, don't need to get all the expansions for sure. I would say, I would say though, get the, the base game, obviously, and then at least one expansion, even like the first uh, card expansion, which was a very small expansion, just had some cards and I think added focus tokens in the first expansion. I'm not sure if it was the first second, but yeah, the, uh, the base game by itself is like not quite enough to me to last. I think it'll be good for like two plays, two, three plays, maybe, but then you're going to want to add more stuff. But I think once you get, you know, one, two, three expansions, you don't really need like that. You don't need them all. Uh, I mean, I have them all, but, um, uh, but you're not really ever going to play with them all. There's some setup cards and stuff like that to sort of randomly set up which expansions you might be using. So that's kind of a neat thing, too, because when you revisit it, it, again, it'll be like a different world. Uh, and so this one, it's very akin to Defenders of the Realm. Although this one, I think I actually like playing solo more than with other players. Just, I don't know. I don't know what it is. Because it's just like... To me, I just like seeing what happens. <laughs> you know, like you, you just like, you send the characters around and like, oh, that dude went insane, that's funny, you know. Like, <laughs> you know, like you just like seeing like the nutty stuff. One thing that sticks out in my head is like, uh, this like old businessman. The characters are so weird in this game. They're just like, like there's one character I love playing her, she's an actress, and she just seems to like somehow, every time I play it, even with other players or with, with myself, she always is like good at everything. And I'm like, oh, that's kind of what an actor would do. Like they kind of know a little bit about everything, but they're not really an expert because they're obviously an actor, but it's their job to sort of investigate and like learn about these different like ways of life, I guess. But she always seems to do really good. Um, yeah, so that's, see, that's just funny. That's just like a funny thing that happens in the, in the stories of the games that I've played. But there's this one guy, he's like this big old balding, you know, businessman. And he has this dream and he goes in the dream and his father comes back and his father like shoots him in the dream, but it like kills him in real life. And it's just like, what, what, what happened? And then there's just all these like weird, crazy things that can happen. And I find that when I play with other players, we tend to try to like optimize and solve, which is, I still do that when I, when I'm solo, but I really like with this, with Eldritch Horror to like, just get in there and just like, just kind of like sit with it, you know, for a little bit longer. When you're soloing, you're not, you're not really rushed or in a hurry. You know, you can leave it set up. You can go, you can, you can leave the game set up and go do something for 10 or 15 minutes and come back to it and be like, okay, where was I? But then you can kind of just sit with it and just be like, that is just crazy what happened, you know? And this one has a big sprawling 
you know, world-spanning adventure. There's all these different locations you can go into. And I kind of like that attitude. It has that very Indiana Jones feel. So, like, when in the Indiana Jones movies, when they show, the, like, the little line of the airplane flying from, like, Cairo to some weird island in the ocean to Nepal or whatever, you know, so that has that feel. Like, this character goes on this little adventure, and they have the little story, and they fight these demons, or maybe they go to this weird ancient crypt or whatever. So this just is, like, spitting out, like, just... Indiana Jones movies, like every 10 minutes. Uh, so, I mean, if that's a reason to like a game, that's why I like this game more than anything, except it has also the extra ordinary supernatural stuff. Anyway, so that's Elder Tor. This is a straight co-op, but it's definitely way on the Ameritrashy side of the co-op versus Defenders of the Realm, which is more on the Euro side of the co-op. So, uh, yeah. But those are two are probably about equal, frankly. So that was number four. Uh, number three is going to be a very different style game. Uh, this is a coin game, and this is Cuba Libre. And you could definitely consider this one kind of standing in for uh, the series as a whole. Now, I've kind of lost track of the series. I think I've played uh, the first five or six of the series. And then after a while, it's kind of like you're playing the same. It's kind of the same, right? Um, but I would like to play Gandhi. That's the, that's the new one that I... I'm like, oh, that's a cool theme. I really want to try that. So I might try to play that one at some point. But um, this one, this one is definitely my favorite one. Um, one of the reasons it is is because it is my uh, my favorite to play solo. And um, and this one you can just kind of do a little bit more with in terms of the way that you play it. Now I do really enjoy playing it, you know, head to head. I played a lot of games on Vassal as well as face to face. It makes for a great kind of turn-based or email-based game where you take your turn, you know, you drop your file into a Dropbox or whatever, and then you email, take your turn, and then you go. It works very snappy that way. Um, but uh, solo, this works very, very well. The solo system in these coin games, um, you know, they're set in a lot of different settings, but they have this sort of branching, like, flowchart AI thing, which is cumbersome, but to me... It just somehow works really well with this game. I, I, there's been other styles of games that I've played that I do not like the the card-driven flowchart stuff. Like the one I can think of is the PAX Premier one. Um, it's just to me because it does so much that is like unfair and not and it breaks too much of the rules, which a lot of them kind of do. Um, which is, you know, getting back to my earlier statement about not liking the competitive games that are made into solo games. Like, Cloudspire, which I mentioned earlier, has these impossible-to-solve puzzles, but they're static. And you sit there, and you play it, and you solve it, and that's fine. Uh, there's enough scenarios in there that you can kind of play through that. And it's not like, like, I haven't gotten through all, what is it, like, there's like 20 scenarios. I haven't gotten anywhere near through all those. But, uh, this one also is a little bit more static. Like, when it when you flip a card, it activates normally as a player would activate, but it does it on a very kind of tight script. So the randomness is kind of the order of activations in the way that you have to sort of uh, build up your defenses and kind of hedge your bets about that. It doesn't like go and do something like insanely overpowered that you're like, huh, what? Why do you get to take eight actions now? <laughs> like, you know, it doesn't do that kind of stuff. And so just the way this system is sort of integrated with that sort of flipping of a card and activating and then you walk down this logical tree which is very easy to digest and you kind of really get the hang of it uh the little sort of just a little tangent here the little sort of side benefit of that is that you can kind of learn by playing it 
like, oh, so if I were to play this faction in kind of a real face-to-face game, this is something I might consider as sort of a good kind of opening move. It's just, you know, a nice little suggestion because one of the things that's tricky about these, these games is they're actually not super complex in terms of like, here's the four or five things that you can do on your turn. Why and when I want to do those things ends up being kind of the tricky thing. It's like, okay, so I could build a base. I could, you know, muster some troops. I could do this. I could do the event on the card that I get flipped up. You know, it's like, well, what do I do? I don't know what to do. This is my victory condition. Maybe I should do this. Maybe I should do that. Oh, but I didn't know about this other faction. I could also do this. So I should probably do that to prevent that from happening. So all that kind of stuff. So simple kind of game uh, mechanically, but it's like, I don't know what to do because you just don't know what the good reason is. So playing through kind of the AIs of that helps you kind of learn the different factions in a way. And just, you know, kind of personally, I really enjoy the themes, especially of these earlier uh, versions of the coin system, because they're often set in more modern times. I would say like post, you know, 1900, 1850. Uh, There are some that have been set, you know, in more like medieval, dark ages, you know, Renaissance. I think there's probably an ancient one. I haven't kept up with all of them. Um, But I like that these address the modern issues to do with warfare because this is really about the Cuban Civil War in a way uh, that happened in the 50s. And, you know, like you could play a game that was like a hex encounter game or something or some, uh, you know, large theater operational game like a no retreat game or whatever about that. But that's like, hmm, is is this really just about the battles? I mean, that's an aspect of life and an aspect of the life of war. But I find this sort of uh, the dim- diplomacy and kind of the twilight struggle types of things that's going on, you know, manipulating influence and kind of a little bit of an economy kind of thing going. I find that to be a little bit more interesting for me in terms of the more modern conflicts of, you know, why they happened and all that kind of stuff. Uh, so this, this kind of thing is really interesting to me. And this one has an angle, I've talked a lot about this one before, but it has that angle of government, uh, a certain corrupt government with certain <laughs> corrupt insurgents. And then there's also the mafia involved. So there's business, corrupt business uh, interests involved and things like that. So um, yeah, so it's a bunch of corrupt people <laughs> trying to take over an island. You know, I don't know what to say, but you know, that's, uh, that's interesting. That's super interesting to me. And uh, in a lot of these sort of things, like the first one, Andy Nabis, similar idea, government that's like, eh, a little shady. And then you have some drug dealers trying to take it over, some communists, some uh, very, uh, let's say, fanatical far right wing guys, and that kind of stuff. So that sort of, those elements that are in play uh, make it interesting. You know, like it's, it's a very modern concern. You know, a lot of these things I can sort of identify you can you know you see them on the news you see this kind of thing in the real world there's certain you get these different factions that are like wackos and uh, you know can't find a job or something i guess so they have to become terrorists or you know whatever kind of thing it is or or they have to stoke fear to like you know get people to vote the way that they want them to vote you know whatever so there's those kinds of things those tensions and those sort of the way people kind of play around with those tensions is, uh, it, I mean, it's disgusting, but it's also like, you got to watch out for it. Like, so, and this is kind of the, the thing that kind of gets you into that. So it gets me into that kind of mentality and kind of puts my brain in a certain space in a situation like this, which is, you know, pretty far removed because it's in the fifties and this has already happened and that kind of thing. So it's an interesting sort of ballpark to play in, uh, for somebody like me that just goes to work every day. Uh, so that is uh, Cuba Libre. <laughs> that is number three. 
Really cool. I definitely recommend looking at all the coin games, finding a theme that maybe uh, appeals to you a little bit more maybe than this one might. But I definitely recommend this one because it's got a lot of good. It plays really well two-player, three-player, four-player, and also solo. Okay, so that is number three. Number two is Warhammer Quest Blackstone Fortress. And so remember I mentioned to put a pin in the Shadows of Brimstone stuff uh, because I think Shadows of Brimstone, Brimstone does old school Warhammer Quest better than these new Warhammer Quest games do. But I really, really like what these new Warhammer Quest games do, specifically Blackstone Fortress. Now that Blackstone Fortress is a Warhammer 40k universe thing, there's been two games kind of using a similar system as this set in the more fantasy Age of Sigmar universe, uh, Silver Tower and Shadows Over Hall, which you can actually kind of combine in some ways. Uh, this one does it better. So uh, if you pin me down, I would, I'm not even like a 40K guy. Like I like the Age of Sigmar universe and the fantasy universe more than 40K, but specifically this game, the way that you play through this game is mechanically very similar ish to like a claustrophobia 1643 and again to the old fantasy warhammer quest silver tower and stuff like that where you have this kind of dice activation type of thing that's going on and then you have a, like a little uh, destiny pool of, of, of dice that's sort of a universal pool that players can use and you go through and you play through the campaign here and uh this one i've really kind of grown out and uh you actually be seeing a video about this this sort of coincidence, but uh, there's actually terrain for this. So I got some 3D printed terrain that I'm going to paint out. I did a video about the original set of that terrain last year. Um, anyway, so this one is such like a living, breathing world kind of thing. So you can see when it comes to the solo games, I'll really lean on anything that is comes alive for me. You know, anything that sort of breathes life into the game, something that I can kind of, again, just kind of sit with. And this is such a cool mostly procedurally generated type of thing. So there is a loose kind of campaign and arc going through this game where you have to sort of unlock these different strongholds uh, to get to this vault. Although with the expansions, there's a bunch of other kind of side quest kind of things and other little like mini uh, campaigns that you can play through. Uh, and, but the way that you play through it is so easy to get into. And like, it just does so many different things. So if you go watch my review that I did just over a year ago. I'm gonna get way into more detail in the review, but it does, the campaign system is really cool. The way you like save your characters between games is cool. The way you can like pause an adventure is really neat. Uh, the combat is really quick and snappy. Uh, the AI actually, when I first played it, I was like, hmm, this is, this is kind of bullpucky as far as AI goes. But then after I played it, I was like, holy crap, this actually works really well. And it's so like old school and dead simple. So weird. Um, you just like roll on a table and it's like, that's, that's not a design, but it like really, really works. Like sometimes you don't have to be clever in your design. It just, it just, if it works, it works. Um, and then the way that characters can die and you can add new characters in and the way it kind of wraps in some of that, uh, you know, old school stuff where you, instead of going back to town and visiting, you know, town and buying items or whatever and resting up, you have your different spaceships and you have this like area called the precipice, which is sort of like this thing that grew on the side of this Blackstone Fortress where lots of different races in the 40K universe can mix. And you have like little, you know, one-off little roll-off side adventures there. And it's just a really, really cool thing. And the play of it, I think for me, 
is probably the most interesting in terms of kind of blending the dungeon crawl stuff that you might see in uh, uh, Shadows of Brimstone or you know, like an Imperial Assault or Descent, that kind of typical dungeon crawl stuff. But this to me is more fun tactically. It feels more skirmishy, miniature based than those games actually end up being. Like to me, these really have a, they really kind of leans a little bit to that miniature skirmish side of it and does it in a better way that I find the combat and stuff like that more interesting. And the way that it sort of also, on the other hand, the other side of that, is that a way that it generates these like random puzzles that are just like really weird, like little side quests that'll take you like two minutes to do. And you'll like interact with them in between these like skirmishy scenarios. It's just a really neat thing. Um, and so it's just a, it's such a different, fantastic thing that it's like kind of liberally stolen from a lot of the, you know, more modern ideas. So like if you compared this to the original Warhammer quest from the 90s, I think it came out in the 90s, and, you know, compared to two, you can see like, well, why is this so different? Than Warhammer Quest. So if you like that original Warhammer Quest, you may not like this one because it doesn't really do all of that extra crunchy RPG stuff on top of it, which kind of Shadows of Brimstone does. But it, this is like this is like this is new. This is a new game. It's modern. We're going to take all these different like components and mechanical uh, design ideas from these other games and throw them in here. And so it feels like a legacy game. Feels like a co-op. Feels like dungeon crawl. Feels like a skirmish game. It just has a lot of cool stuff going on. It's just a very different, interesting world. Uh, so that's. That's why I'm requesting Blackstone Fortress. I'll go into more detail on that in the review. I don't want to kind of keep reiterating <laughs> why I like games sometimes, but definitely if you want more detail in the game, go take a look at that. Uh, that's my number two. And finally, my number one is Rangers of Shadow Deep. Again, this is a miniature game, but this is a 100% solo, maybe co-op miniature game. I would say co-op will work. I've not ever played a co-op. Um, this to me is like if you were looking for a miniature heavy, let's be frank, a miniature heavy solo D&D game, this is it. This is one million percent it. This is one of my top games of all time. This is in my top five easily all time. Uh, this is just the, 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 the main book. The main book comes with, I don't, I don't remember the scenario count, but it comes with like two campaign segments. And then you can get other little miniature uh, books. You get these books only from DriveThruRPG and stuff like that. Um, and you take your character with their, your ranger, with their little like warband. And you will go through, uh, in this case actually, contradicting myself completely, a strict narrative story arc. Uh, within the confines of a campaign. Uh, you don't necessarily have to play all the campaigns in a certain order. You can kind of jump it around. And there's like different levels uh, that certain adventures are made for. So like as you level your characters up, then you may or may not play this campaign. Although there are some characters that will, uh, and this is getting to my next point, that will vary based on the level you are. So you don't have to be like level 15 to play this or level five to play this. There'll be little rules or small uh, balancing adjustments, you know, depending on which level you're in. And, and, I would 100% play through, uh, I played through the main campaign in this, the whole book here. I played through this book and I would play through it again. And I would play through, I played a, 
I played through one of the expansion books and a little bit of the other one. Uh, one of the expansion ones, I was like, the only disappointing thing was that there was a werewolf one. I didn't like that one. That's the only thing I haven't liked about it. Uh, everything else that I've played, I've absolutely adored, absolutely loved. Uh, you know, you take your adventure, you, ta- you set up a bunch of terrain. Like, it's very terrain heavy and terrain specific. But if you're not into that, like if you are a D&D player, don't let that scare you away. Because why can't you just take a grid like you use in D&D or Pathfinder or whatever. And then, you know, do your little train stuff on there and do your miniatures on there and play through it that way. There's no reason you cannot do that. Like, 100% you can play through this game without investing a lot of, you know, build time or money time into building a really cool, elaborate, uh, you know, terrain set piece. For, frankly, an adventure that might take you 45 minutes to play through. Um, Now, I get into that and then I also will fudge uh, the terrain, like a little, like I just kind of was like, this is supposed to be a hill. And I'll just say, well, this part is a hill. And then I'll make the rules for that little strip of land with these surrounded rock pieces. Like you can do stuff super easy. If it's like, Hey, you have to go to this house and, you know, uh, kill this giant spider in front of the house. It doesn't have to be a house. You know, it could just be like some walls that are down. You know what I mean? And you say, oh, well, I can't go in through the walls because of whatever. Like, it's very easy and flexible. It's not going to affect the balance of the game or anything like that. And the other thing that's interesting is that there's enough. It has this really cool mechanic. This is what I'm going to leave you with. Um, you know, it's got your typical D&D stuff, lots of different stats. You're rolling D20s. Uh, you're interacting that way. Your combat works that way. Um, but there's also, like, choices. So there's a, there's a splash of, like, choose your adventure. But again, you don't reset. I mean, if you're party wipes, I guess you'd reset. <laughs> but it, I mean, it's it's hard to like you know completely wipe. Um, but it has this other mechanic where you have a deck of you take a normal deck of fifty two cards, and there's like an event phase, and you flip those up, and then it'll tell you like add all the spades, you know, ace through king, and that's your deck, and then add in like three red cards, right? So you shuffle those up, and then you flip the thing, and you just look at the table on the scenario, and it'll say, like, oh, some bats come out of this little spawning point. Or, you know, this NPC runs across the field if you draw the red card or something. So you can replay that scenario, and it's going to change things up. And it's kind of like a DM, you know, acting in response and starting throwing random stuff at you. And there's just a lot of cruel, cool, neat things. And to me, if you get into the solo side of it, and... Uh, and again, you kind of sit with it. And this is kind of why I have the, the snow showing. I don't usually show the window in my videos. But that's kind of a, you know, the solo part of this is like you kind of, you're hunkered into your little cave or whatever, you know, your room and your apartment. And um, you have this concept of, uh, of Hugo, which is a Danish thing. And uh, well, also a Finnish thing. Um, but anyway, so um, you get kind of in that warm, you know, where you're comfortable with yourself. And you're able to kind of like build this world. And that's where this one kind of comes into it for me is like it's solo in terms of like I can craft, you know, the terrain pieces. I can paint the miniatures. I can kind of build up my party. Tell It's like I set up my own little movie and I can kind of play, you know, through that stuff and then, you know, kind of see how it goes. And again, I think this would be really fun co-op. It does some scaling for that. And there's a new edition of the rule book as well. Um that uh, if you do have the old edition, you can get a free PDF. There's like a couple of pages of like updates to kind of better balance the scaling from what I gather for playing co-op, which I would totally do with this. Um, 
But yeah, this is just the, the completely like all encompassing for me, the building, the crafting, the, you know, creating the characters in the party and playing through the adventures. Again, leaving it set up. I've just had this game, uh, this has been a couple of months, but you know, last time I played, I had it set up here for a couple of weeks and I just had it set up and I would just come back and play through the scenario and I go to the next one. Cause I kind of read ahead and say like, Oh, what am I going to need here? So, okay, I'll set these pieces aside. And then as you sort of adventure in, it's this great visual uh, experience. But again, you don't need to like go whole hog into that. And I don't think it's required to enjoy the game. Uh, you could get one of those grids and just kind of, you know, draw stuff out and, you know, have a little bit of terrain, some of that scatter terrain, that kind of thing. And then a couple of miniatures. Like if you got Descent, a copy of Descent at home, then just buy this. It's like 15 bucks. Well, how much is it? I don't know. The 15, 20 bucks. Depends. They go on sale. I don't know, you get them a drive through RPG, you can just buy the PDF, you know, for cheaper and throw it on your iPad. And then it'll just give you an adventure. Like, that's it. I mean, you could use Descent tiles. I always say this when I'm talking about Frostgrave. If you get the one, uh, the Perilous Dark, not the Perilous Dark, what's it? Hang on a minute. Um, into the Breeding Pits. <laughs> Frostgrave, which is meant to be kind of a more tunnel-y Frostgrave. Um, you could get that kind of stuff here. Just kind of adjust your scenario a little bit and then play with your copy of Descent or Shadows of Brimstone even and have some fantasy miniatures and there you go. Like it's 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 a very gonna be a very rich rewarding experience. Alright, so that's number one, Rangers Shadow Deep, 100 uh, percent recommend that. Uh yeah, so there's my top ten solo games. And again, just uh, with all the caveats, uh, I'm very interested actually if uh if you have any cool solo games given my proclivities, or maybe in spite of my proclivities to not really like competitive you know, solo games or choosing adventure solo games, uh, maybe throw a couple at me because it's always nice to have another solo experience to kind of uh, dive through. Okay, thank you. Happy winter.